Disclaimer. The views and opinions of this program are not necessarily those of the New American Magazine. They're submitted for your entertainment and consideration. You should consult your doctor before considering expending too much strenuous energy on these controversial subjects. If you don't have medical authorization, consider this invitation as your permission slip for independent thought. Welcome to Under the Iceberg, hosted by Daniel Natal, co-hosted by investigative researcher Jenny Silcox. We'd also like to welcome Ryan Calevra. Tonight's conspiracy is Injectables Turning Humans into Routers. Chapter 1. The Premise. As the world concentrated on promoting the narrative of a pandemic, people quickly started to grow skeptical of what exactly was in the shots especially since institutions like La Quinta Columna in Spain were detecting ingredients that, when combined, created graphene oxide in people's bodies. Graphene oxide is a powerful conductor, far more efficient than copper for transmitting radio waves. A question naturally arises. Were people being remotely influenced by frequencies? With advances in transcranial magnetic resonance and peer-reviewed papers and articles coming out about how frequencies can change people's moods, opinions, and beliefs, Is there something to the idea that injectables are insinuating into our bodies conductive agents that would facilitate this manipulation? More chillingly, are these conductive agents being placed into more things than just mRNA gene therapies? And with that, I give you the floor, Ryan. Okay, so after the jabs rolled out, uh, there was a whole lot of different reports. If you just try to search on any search engine, although some of the results are already getting scrubbed. I've noticed this since I started looking for it myself just a week ago. But uh, the, there's, all these, there's all these different re- results that, that point to the idea that people were finding all kinds of crazy MAC addresses on their, on their routers and their wireless devices and this and that. And then I saw somebody in a particular forum mention that there was a pushed forced update to all telephones through their cellular providers in order to kill this ability on your phone unless you got into the developer options menu and enabled it again. And so it's a lot harder to do that on iPhone, but apparently Galaxy and other Droid platform phones, it's very easy to do. I mean, it's like a a four-step process, unless it's too old. I tried to do this on something that was like an S8 the other day, and it did not work. But if you have like an S21 or better, it's like I know that it works, and it probably works for other slightly older models. I started searching around and lo there, I found all these Mac addresses. Like every time I was in the presence of a lot of people and they're unnamed devices. But the thing is an unnamed device that does, that is actually a hardware device. It'll have the same Mac address over and over and over because that's still enough of, if it's reading the Mac address of something else, then it knows what it is. It's reading its serial number more or less because the Mac address of a physical device is a physical thing. But if it's reading something that it doesn't, it can't communicate or handshake with the protocol at all, there's a thing called a dynamic Mac address. And it had been more than two decades since I studied networking. So I had to go look up what exactly this was. And it turns out that whenever... The, whatever scanning device sees something on its frequency band, a signal that it cannot communicate with at all, handshake with anything, it will actually just assign it. It'll generate and assign it a MAC address. The scanning device will. And then whenever you break contact with that thing and then reestablish contact with the same thing, then it will not be the same address ever. And that's what I'm finding with, with people that I am scanning with this because I've isolated a whole bunch of people 
like where I could scan and have no signal and it was in a controlled environment. And then I bring them in without their keys, without their phone, without any devices, without any possibility that it could be anything else. And they show. Just for the audience's sake, Ryan is referring to a phenomenon that is uh, current on the internet right now of people noticing that when they put their phone, as an example, into Bluetooth mode, uh, they're picking up other human beings. Uh, they'll pick up, of course, other devices and stuff like that. But among the, the legitimate traceable devices are strange kind of, you know, frequencies like tags that Ryan is talking about. So it would appear that the people themselves are showing up as traceable, trackable devices. So um, just wanted to clarify that. So go ahead, Ryan. I, at that point, I was not quite convinced that it is in fact people that are the origins of these signals, but I was nearly convinced, but I had to qualify this a little bit better. And I borrowed a radio frequency bug detector that's made for finding like hidden cameras, audio bugs, GPS devices, other things that might be hidden on and about your, you or your stuff. And, uh, it, it, it doesn't actually quantify the signal because you calibrate it like a squelch on a radio to tune everything else out and only accept what is above a certain threshold. And it doesn't give you an, a, a display of any kind of numerical notation of this stuff. But when you turn it down to a certain sensitivity, it'll exclude everything that is below that sensitivity. And with people, I found that whenever I calibrate this thing outside of any phone, outside of any Wi-Fi, away from Bluetooth towers and all that sort of thing, I, you can, it is very easy to isolate people, flesh and blood, as the origins of these signals. I wanted to play something really quick, uh, Ryan, and then I'm going to have Ginny jump in. But first, I'm just going to play this. Just bear with me just one second. Well, Quinta Columbus found. I mean, obviously, they have found and proven that graphene is inside the shots. Uh, we can't forget this. You know what else they've found now? They're a self-assembling circuitry. Self-assembling circuitry inside just the Pfizer shot. We have to assume this is across all of them. You know, they have been on top of this, Lord, and the specific conclusion they've come to is that there is a tie with 5G. Now, of course, what you're seeing on screen here is a 400 times magnification yeah. of a vial of Pfizer. Tiny little particles are making filaments like wires. He says in here, it's like a matrix of wires. What he believes is this makes us, makes us connective. We basically can now be controlled like a router. You know, people say that this notion of 5G being deadly is a conspiracy. But you know what? Just like with the shots, where are the studies that show the safety of this, this futuristic technology that's supposed to allow for, uh, you know, these autonomous vehicles that are running people over when no one's paying attention? Okay, this is what's inside your Mima and Peepaw now. And I wonder if Mima and Peepaw aren't getting a signal from the sky. Yeah, you know, I don't think, uh, I'm no professional medical professional or anything, but I'm pretty sure uh, self-assembling circuitry is not supposed to be found in vaccines. And you know what? Dr. Jane Ruby also broke this on her show last week as they got the results back from the fibrous clots that they pulled, that embalmer pulled out of mm. that uh, vaccinated person's body. And they did a, uh, an evaluation. They sent it to a lab, had the professionals do it. And guess what it came back as? Self-assembling circuitry. They are trying to turn us into, like, I don't know. Cyborgs or something. something some, it's all a means of control. Okay, Jenny. So um, before we have Ryan resume, what are your initial uh, impressions of Ryan saying that he is picking up signals from human beings, kind of, you know, uh, replicating, finding corroboration for some of the other people on the Internet who were uh, noticing the same phenomenon? 
Well, I'm going to back up a little bit and go basic to say that people need to acknowledge that humans, uh, our entire nervous system is electro uh, electrical and it is subject and sensitive to electromagnetic influences. I just want to mention, I don't have the video, but there was a short clip of a video circulating about a year ago of a young uh, technician in Britain who had uh, upgrade uh, circuit cards that he had to climb up and implant into the 5G towers. And he, he said, I'm not supposed to do this. But on his cell phone camera, he unpacked that circuit board that was the upgrade. And on it, it had a large integrated uh, array chip that had a label on it that said COVE-19. I saw that. So that is a tie-in for the 5G technology, which is analyzed. 5G is a lot different than standard 3G or 4G in that it is extremely directional and channelized and higher frequency than the older cell phone signals. So with that type of channelization, it strikes me that by lot, they know probably what the resonant frequencies are in the various structures that are being um, produced inside of people's bodies so that they will know a frequency range um, to, to, to exert control signals uh, on demand at, at a certain point. Yeah, well, uh, the, I saw early videos uh, as well um, with uh, people who were, you know, cut, showing up on Bluetooth, um, you know, and, and at first everybody right. kind of dismissed it as just, you know, silliness or just, you know, like a, a, a crazy conspiracy. And I think that's why Ryan was shaken, because he actually accidentally replicated this and it, it went from the, the speculative to the concrete. And uh, so, so Ryan, go ahead, uh, continue. So speaking with a lifelong electronics technician that's got some years on myself and he's been in this for a while and I've been speaking with IT people that I know that I grew up with and that I've known for a long time about this very thing. But the old electronics technician had a brilliant insight only yesterday. He, uh, he said, if, they're, if these signals are coming from people, I'll bet they're using pulse width modulation as opposed to amplitude modulation like AM or frequency modulation like FM. And I was like, why would you, why would you reason so? And uh, he went on to say, well, the signal for pulse width modulated transmissions, it's very difficult to corrupt. Like, well, you know how AM is all fuzzy, like when you tune into it, that's why FM ended up getting to be the preferable way of modulating radio signals. And FM too is, is susceptible to a lot of noise and things like that from things like solar storms or being walked on by other things. But the only way that you can really corrupt a pulse width modulation signal is to walk on it, so to speak, with uh, a stronger signal that's transmitting the same modulation and in the same frequency. So I went and I started searching for wireless protocols utilizing pulse width modulation. And lo, the very first suggestion showed up was actually an NIH.gov article talking about pulse width modulation to record and control neural actions of live hosts. Now, inside of this article, it, if, you, if within like the first couple of paragraphs, it states that they did this on animals. They did it with wires, but they did it with a processor 
that was that was according to them one half of a my of a of a micrometer squared so one half of a micrometer is one thousandth of or one one micrometer is one thousandth of a millimeter so you get the idea that the thinnest gauge hypodermic needle could very easily dispense this thing and now the semiconductor like array like with the integrated circuit that would be the control for such a thing if it can be made that small and they're already saying it can and this is from an article that's like almost 15 years old by the way it would not have to assemble itself so i'm thinking that the the self-assembling part of it is only for the antenna array that it builds within the circulatory system and also for the nodes that would reach out to the organs to monitor certain things like heart rate or respiratory rate or blood sugar or this or that then like they can also calculate triangulating you probably from like sources that it is connected to your gps location i'm guessing and this is supported by another video that we can't verify the authenticity of it but it looked pretty real to me from that was the one that you sent me that where, where i remember it made it made mainstream media coverage that the sputnik the russian federation's vaccine compliance database had been hacked the passwords were passed around on the dark web and there went by a period of time before the russian government caught on to the idea where people were getting free access to it really quick uh, for the audience what ryan's referring to is a video that was making the rounds about a year and a half ago of a russian at uh, three in the morning surfing the dark web and he was putting in his uh, his friend's information and coming up with geolocation and all like his friend had 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 a, a, a vaccine the sputnik vaccine in russia and now he was coming up as like a router he was with all his information his biomedical fitbit information he could tell you know that his friend was sleeping uh because of you know heart rate and uh, brainwave patterns and frequencies uh where where he had gotten the injection you know when he'd gotten the second injection the location his geolocation on on the planet so he was being tracked in every every way possible and uh, so this was this was going going around, um, you know, and just to get back to just really quickly, uh, Ginny's point about the human, uh, you know, nervous system. Uh, I remember reading uh, Robert Dale Owens back in the 1840s, and he was talking about how the circulatory system, which has iron in it, is aligned with the nervous system, which is electrical. And so it, it creates this, you know, this, this synergy to, uh, you know, do do uh, frequencies and amplitude and all that. Um, so the human circulatory, we're, we're, we're like, what we have a walking wire system in us, you know, and is it possible to hack that? And according to what Ryan is saying, yeah, the that scientists have been able to hack that, like the old uh, Jose Delgado devices, where he was hacking the you know neurological system of animals with uh, what he called a stimaceiver back in the '60s. Only to a much more complex level these days. Like I say, this article that I'm referring to, that was the first one I came up searching pulse width modulation, was already 15 years old, and it's an NIH.gov article. Chapter two: Speculation. Well, one thing I have to say about pulse width modulation is I think a lot of people don't understand exactly what that is. And and so it's and, and it's also very interesting to speculate what the human body would interpret in seeing pulse width modulated signals. You know, it's like, wait a minute, where's the decoder ring? <laughs> you know, <laughs> is this binary, octal, hexadecimal? What are we talking here? How many bits in a byte? 
Well, maybe, you know? maybe that's why, you know, like some of the substances that they're injecting in, I mean, might have a, an epigenetic function where, you know, according to epigenetics, um, you know, like if an animal, especially in the neurological system is very, very um, attuned to epigenetics. Um, they did studies with rats and they basically did classical uh, associative conditioning with the rat, making it afraid of a particular scent. They had like rotting fruit was the scent. And every time the animal smelled the scent, they would zap it with an electrical shock so that it learned to fear that scent. And when it bred, its its offspring would have that, that irrational fear that other you know, rats didn't have, you know, who weren't conditioned in this way. So somehow it had imparted this fear, you know, of, of this, this smell. And what they, they basically came to understand was that the, the rats gene was not changed, but the expression, the gene expression can be modulated. And, you know, you can, you can take, and, and it's, and it's associated with the neurological response, fear, the fear response that it was getting from the shock. And it was, and, and, and so when it passed on the gene, the gene was not, was not changed, but the expression of it was changed. So you wonder if, you know, some of the substances in there have the ability to change the expression of certain genes, you know, so that it can decode, <laughs> you know, um, like, like they're doing, there's evidence now that, um, you know, that, that, that there's some gene deletion, you know, in the prefrontal cortex, um, so that when you breed, you know, the CRISPR technology is editing your, your, your genes, your DNA, um, so that when you Absolutely. breed, your offspring aren't getting your original DNA, they're getting the, the, the edited DNA, DNA. And so you, you, you wonder about this. Um, let me, let me play something really quick before I forget. Jenny sent me a, uh, clip of, uh, Mike Adams. Adams, and I wanted to play his, his findings. Just bear with me one sec. I've got preliminary results to release on the vaccine. I'm not going to say which vaccine this is yet, but this is one of the big three vaccines. And I've done ICPMS tests in my lab. Again, we are an ISO accredited laboratory. So everything that, that we produce in terms of lab results can be entered as evidence in a court of law anywhere in the world, at least in Western civilization countries. Now, what we found in these tests is quite shocking, is that when you take this vaccine out of the vaccine vial using a hypodermic needle, and then you inject it into the human body, or I guess anybody for that matter, here are some of the elements that are injected into your body. And again, this is confirmed. We're going to release these re results along with the PDF file. Vanadium, chromium, manganese, nickel, copper, arsenic, selenium, strontium, molybdenum, cadmium, lead, and uranium. All of these elements, most of which are metals, are found. And, and by the way, what, what they're showing you there is a, what's on your screen is different from what I'm talking about. Just, just a note there. We're going to get into what's in the clot and what's in the blood, which is what that chart was. But I'm, what I'm uh, mentioning right now, uh, we don't yet have a chart for it but this is coming out. These are elements that are in the vaccine. And these are present in trace amounts. These are industrial metals, and they absolutely do not belong in any vaccine or in anything that is injected into the human body. Now, if you thought that, well, how do you know for sure that that's the case? You know, where's the confirmation? Where has this been replicated? Uh, the Epoch Times has a story today. Unusual toxic components found in COVID vaccines without exception, say German scientists. That's the headline. And it's a group of independent German scientists. It's 60 of them. They have found toxic components, mostly metallic, in all of the COVID vaccine samples they analyzed without exception. 
using modern medical and physical measuring techniques. So this is called the Working Group for COVID Vaccine Analysis. And they've tested AstraZeneca, Pfizer, and Moderna vaccine vials, which are the same three that I'm testing. And uh, they have found the following. They found alkali metals such as cesium and potassium. They found alkaline earth metals such as calcium and barium. They've also found, I'm reading from that story, cobalt, iron, chromium, and titanium. So you, you notice these are overlapping with some of our own lab tests that I just mentioned. They found uh, aluminum. We're going to talk about aluminum here in a second because aluminum is a, a key element that's being found in these post-vaccine clots. And aluminum is electrically conductive, which is a critical element. What, what I found interesting about that is we've been concentrating on the, the COVID shots, or they have, I should say, um, and everybody's been paying attention to that. But Ryan, you you came to me and you said, you know, why you were, were you know, um, interested by this, why you were fascinated by this was that you noticed that it wasn't just the COVID shots. You said that uh, other substances, uh, people had been showing up on Bluetooth, uh, you know, who had gone to the hospital yeah, and had yeah. other procedures. I, uh, I, I started, I scanned people that I, even that I knew for a fact, because I know them personally, that they had had no vaccine or anything like that. And, um, I've had a couple of people that have gone under for surgery. They've been given general anesthesia. Those people have a signal. I have another, another couple of people that, uh, that have, have had the monoclonal antibody treatment back before they banned it whenever they supposedly had COVID and they felt really bad, they said that they went home afterwards and slept like a baby for like a day and a half. And then after that, they felt fine again. Those people are also emitting a signal. And I have verified this with an RF detector. So there's only one real logical conclusion to draw from that. And that's that they aren't just putting this stuff in the vaccine. And I wouldn't let them give me saline at this point. Well, yeah. uh, Dane Wigington is saying they're putting it in chemtrails I and people be- are just inhaling it, you know. Well, but see, here's the thing. Another another one of the patents that I read when I originally researched this entire idea before it was actually proven to me that it is, is that uh, I saw a patent for the ability of a self-assembling circuitry to power itself by using the blood as an electrolyte more or less. I mean, if you, if, uh, if I have to make it summed up completely, I mean, just in layman's terms, that's what it is. It's using the blood as an electrolyte. And the other thing too, you got to keep in mind is if, if, if the body was to say a country, what would it, its highway system be? How could you possibly get to every potential tissue in that body? And the answer is the circulatory system. It's not going to work in your digestive tract. And it's not going to work on the outside of your skin and it's not going to work in your lungs, but, and, and aside from that, our, our gut, you know, it's one side of our immune system that rejects a whole lot of stuff that shouldn't be in us in the first place. But once something is put into you intravenously, there's just, you know, turpentine ain't going to get it off as we rednecks say. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we, we had previous uh, episodes about this. We had a, an, an episode called The Tattoo Conspiracy, where I, I posited the theory that they started first with the blanket, you know, 
attempt to do it with smart dust deployed from chemtrails and then they you know edu- they they graduated up to um you know tattoos you know having people you know w- that they're now calling cutaneous um sensors right in the medical literature they're, they're having tattoos that are emitting frequencies you know that, that are allowing yeah, you to quantum be tracked. Dots. yeah and so and but, but that's just you know on the cutaneous level and now they, they've graduated up to inject injectables so that it breaches is the blood-brain barrier, and it goes all throughout. So it's it's much more effective to have it injected. But of course, initially nobody would want to do that. So you know there is a logic to you know kind of corralling them in a particular direction to you know cobble together a pretext to have them you know submit to intravenous uh, inter- intervention um, that they're you know apparently unaware of. And that was one of the chilling things that that Ryan you know kind of grabbed me with when he said that it was it wasn't just the shots. It, you know, it, it was also all these other, you know, kind of medical procedures that they're now introducing these substances into without telling the consumers, without telling the patients. Well, I, I have University of Kentucky research that shows that uh, inhaled nanoparticles of aluminum and various other substances can easily penetrate the blood brain barrier just upon inhalation. That they go into the circulatory system through the lungs, and then when they get up to the brain, they easily penetrate through. Yeah, if they're um, they're small enough. Yeah, that didn't even occur to me. That's that's actually a really good point that the lungs and that remember how initially um, just to return to that pretext when they were saying, you know, COVID, it was originally sold as a uh, respiratory illness and uh, the lungs, you know, were and and there were many reports saying that it was largely just isolated to the lungs, the respiratory system, respiratory system, respiratory. And now that people are coming down with myocarditis, they're like, oh, just kidding. It was also in the circulatory. (laughs) And they're like, you know, changing the, the narrative. But originally it was just the respiratory system and the lungs. But yeah. You could easily see nanoparticles penetrating the lungs and then from there going into the uh, rest of the circulatory system. Interesting. Well, and I also have one other thing to add. Sorry to interrupt you, Ryan. I don't know if I did, but um, I also have a ton of research on various different papers showing that exposure. Now, okay, we've got a lot of tandem things going on here. We have the rise in popularity of tattoos. And we have the extreme popularity of smartphones and now the introduction of 5G. And if you add all those three things together, um, I've got several research papers showing that chronic exposure to EMFs, and that would be any cell phone, really, any cell phone, Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, anything that's in your neighborhood, uh, causes your cells to time the opening of cell portals differently so that um, certain like 18.6 gigahertz is a known frequency that they use with chemo patients who have glioma because being exposed to that particular frequency opens up the blood brain barrier and allows the chemo drugs to penetrate into the brain. This gets back to what I was saying about the epigenetics, the, the mice. And in our tattoo, uh, you know, episode, we were talking about the possibility of them using infrasound through the cell phones, through smartphones that were interacting with the uh, cutaneous sensor, i.e. tattoo, um, or now would be interacting with the uh, the uh, injectables that are in the bloodstream. Um, and now they're not going to need the phone because now they're going to have all the 5G towers to essentially do this. But how in the mice, it was the same thing. It was using, you know, uh, an electric 
shock to basically condition you and how that altered you through your neurological system epigenetically so that you would pass on different genes. Now they're doing it not with an electric shock, but they're doing it in a more subtle infrasound way that you're not even conscious of. You're not conscious that when you look at a particular image, you know, say, say it is on your smartphone or a TV or whatever that's emitting these infrasound frequencies, that all of a sudden if they hit you with a 19 you know, hertz frequency and it, and, and it generates a feeling of unease in you, as those frequencies do, um, you know, that you don't know that you're doing, you're being subjected to the same associative conditioning that that rat was. So this is like, you know, Pavlovian dog training for humans. You know, this is, they're using new technologies to basically do a very old technique that goes back to Pavlov in the 1860s and 70s. Um, and uh, so I've been talking to too long. Ryan, go ahead, jump in, man. Uh, I was I was going to say that uh, the, the psychotronics thing is not new either. I mean, that first, like the first documented stuff that I've ever read about it is dating back to the 20s. But what you're talking about whenever you talk about changing the genetic memory of an organism and its offspring, it that 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 would be more accurately, I would say, physiotronics. And that's pretty scary in and of itself. But in spite of those two things and in spite of what Jenny was saying about the smart particles being in chemtrails and this and that, I at the moment am still not emitting any signal, at least on a band that I can see. So I operate empirically. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's true. That's and you're pretty funny. And he said his, his, <laughs> he said his brother too isn't isn't coming up on the signal. So so, but that's the thing. Uh, they they do trial and error. You know where they they do a, a particular thing and it has limited efficacy, and then it, and your body heals itself and gets you know gets rid of the pathogen. And uh, so so that's why they've graduated up to step two, step three, step four, and who knows along the the scale, the sliding scale where we are right now. But uh, but yeah. So so Ryan, uh, you know, talk about you were you were talking about the MAC addresses that were showing up initially and you were you were kind of studying you know like what the what that was oh by the way that's media access code mac people don't know that i took networking a long time ago i had a cisco class back whenever they first started offering it as a pilot program in high schools and stuff you know whenever yeah imagine that's what it is in in the handshake protocol for bluetooth media access layer yeah, and it exists across many, many different protocols, and that's why you can still see a static MAC address for a physical device, and, and even if you're operating in a different protocol. People appear to be operating under and transmitting under is actually a UART-based protocol. And the reason why I say that is because they, I, there's several apps out there that you can do to read smartwatches and this and that, and if you go looking at the ones that support UART, they're all defunct now. It's like they say they're no longer supported, this and that. It's like you, if you actually download them in spite of their warning that it's no longer supported, it's dead on arrival. It's like it doesn't work for anything because I figured that I could probably be at least be able to handshake with some of these signals and attain what they call a UIN. That's a unique identification number. And if I could do that, then I could actually take these signals and catalog them as it's Bob or Joe or this or that, like who I had already ascertained that it is. But... So far, none of the, none of these apps are working, and so I challenge other network personnel and coders that are involved with these sorts of things because I've come way behind the times. I'm kind of a luddite, and I've pretty much abandoned all that stuff. It's like I'd rather have a condenser in points than a digital ignition module at this point. But it's like I challenge we all. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. It's like I, I, I challenge them to go out and, 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 and use their own empiricism and their own knowledge to try and crack this thing. Because like Daniel was saying, I would wager that if we were to be able to connect to these devices, what we would see is something very similar to a Fitbit dashboard with the, a GPS location. Yeah, hold on. Let me play a clip from a video of people who are doing the so-called Bluetooth challenge where they are looking at uh, the MAC addresses that are showing up. And uh, note how how uh, freaked out the person is uh, in this clip as he walks into Walmart and he just wants to empirically check it out for himself. And he, he responds to it very much like Ryan must have. So uh, bear with me one sec. I was just at Walmart and um, I decided because I saw this video um, of this one lady on a dock that was uh, looking over and seeing the people that were swimming and she opened up her phone and then she opened up the Bluetooth and then she showed these miscellaneous looking numbers and then she showed how many people were swimming and it was just like, well, what is that? So. I decided to try this myself, and you're going to want to share this video after you see this. All right, all right, we live good. All right, um, listen, I am going into Walmart right now, you guys, and I'm going to open up my Bluetooth settings to see if I get any miscellaneous codes inside the store. Let's see what happens. Okay, here we are in Walmart. Going to turn it on now. Oh, my God. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. Unbelievable. Oh my god. Oh my god. You guys, I'm getting goosebumps on my head because of this. Oh my god, look at this. Look at this. I'm getting, oh my god. This is real. Okay, so that video is uh, very chilling to me because it sounded a, a lot like how you know you Ryan sounded like when you first came to me with this. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted to tie this back into to what Ryan was saying before I played the clip about how um, you know the possibility that if we are subjects of I think it's called Teslaphoresis, where they can turn you into an antenna. Um, and that that's the actual term for this now, because this has been uh, studied for quite a while and how, you know, as Ryan was suggesting earlier, that the communication might be two way. Um, it, this is not just that you're emitting, you know, f signals so that they can, you know, kind of look at you, look at your vitals through the cloud, but that also they can transmit things to you. And you mentioned before the, the podcast started. You, both of you mentioned something that I'd never heard of, uh, people spinning in circles. And, and Ginny, did you want to uh, kind of elaborate on that? Well, that's on the latest Max Egan video. There are two video clips of people in different countries waiting. One is at a train station and uh, he's just standing there. And then all of a sudden he looks around like he heard something. But then he continues to turn and turn and turn to the right. And then his arm goes up in the air and he's looking at his arm like, what, what are you doing? And his arm is pushing him and eventually pushes him off the platform into a moving freight train that's going by. 
Yeah, that sounds. And he was he was completely unable to control his body. Yeah, the neurological system had been hacked, just like I mentioned before with uh, you know Jose Delgado doing that with a bull and being able to remote control and you know the the animal and to stop it in its tracks as it was charging, you know, just by sending out a radio frequency and he could take over the musculature, you know. And uh, I mean, this this is like a, a new level. It just reminded me of uh, the the journalist Michael Hastings, who had done reporting on the NSA. And uh, he his car was, you know, possibly hacked and, uh, you know, through through, uh, you know, the geolocation and the satellites and run into a tree. And he was killed right after he was doing this reporting on the NSA and everybody was showing you how they could hack the car. So this would be a new level of hacking. Now, it goes back to the transhumanist. uh, What's his name? Yuval Harari from the World Economic Forum. He calls it the hacking of the human animal. Like these technologies, these frequency modulation technologies, you know, interacting with the human neurological system, you know, uh, being mediated by these these injectables. So, um, Ryan, did you? you well, I think you said I, you also. Uh, got, excuse me, I just sent you a patent. I sent both of you uh, a U.S. patent that has to do with that. By the way, this is a U.S. six two three eight three 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 B one. It's remote magnetic manipulation of nervous systems. Oh yeah, I, I saw that. Okay, yeah, I, I I know what you're talking about. Um, yeah, exactly. From 1999. <laughs> yeah, so they've been doing this for a long time. They've been beta testing this, and now it looks like they're doing like massive planet-wide longitudinal testing to see, you know. And and me and Ryan were talking about this earlier. If it's true that they've moved on from Fitbits, you know, which are external, you know, an external appliance on your body, and now you've got an internal Fitbit that you know, and, and they have a dashboard showing your vital statistics in real time, they would probably know who was going to die of myocarditis, who had pericarditis, who had, you know, who, who was likely to, you know, and, and and Ryan and I on a previous occasion were discussing how, you know, this might, you know, be, you know, usable by large corporations, you know, who, ha- who have insurance, uh, you know, companies underneath their umbrella, like uh, we were discussing uh, Berkshire Hathaway, that Berkshire Hathaway, Warren Buffett, when he buys companies, he doesn't use his own money to buy the companies. He owns Geico and a number of other insurance companies. So when you pay your premiums, you're paying them basically to Warren Buffett. He takes that money, he uses it to buy Heinz ketchup, or he uses it to buy Lego, or he uses it to buy any Fruit of the Loom was one of the companies he acquired. He uses that money as a slush fund, and then he returns the principal and keeps the profits for himself. So he's using other people's money. So Ryan and I were just talking about, you know, the possibility of, you know, like massive insurance fraud um, by knowing who's going to die, you know, ahead of time, (laughs) being able to like, you know, work certain angles and, and stuff like that. I mean, th- this would give them a massive market competitive advantage, you know, and not just for you know sudden people dying and you know putting insurance out on them, um, but in any number of of, of ways, you know, um, it, it's 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 mind boggling, like the the economic manipulation, you know, that could be derived from this. Well, the other part about this that seems so in keeping with other patterns that we've seen among the elite is this uh, transhumanism thing, and this, this is like this. COVID vaccine has been one gigantic transhumanist experiment, especially in view of what uh, the uh, the non-blood-based clots that Mike Adams has been uh, examining in his lab, that uh, this, this, this material that the uh, embalmers are having trouble when they get a corpse in, they have trouble embalming the person because they can't push the fluid through the, through the veins or arteries. And they're finding that whatever is blocking that the path is not necessarily a blood clot. 
that it's an entirely different structure that does not have the same chemical analysis that that of any tissue that they know in the human body. As soon as I figured out that what I'm talking about is a repeatable phenomenon, then uh, I immediately started thinking, how could I deactivate these devices? Now, an EMF attack on a, a little CMOS chip that's a half of a micrometer squared would not have to be very intense or very long duration in order to deactivate it. But at this point, if you're talking about a self-assembling technology, what's to say that it was not designed to make itself just do like a life jacket and just turn you off in case you remove the control signal. And that's one of the things that has me sketchy about trying to experiment with such a thing. And uh, I was actually debousing people. Yeah. Well, I mean, like if I kill their signal, am I going to kill them? Or if they kill their signal, are they going to kill themselves? Yeah, that's a great question. I didn't have, hadn't even thought of that, that they make them dependent now on the field. Yeah, and it's not the field that, that God puts out. It's not the field that naturally exists. It's the field that they generate. So if they And leave- it's in the brain, and it's in their medulla oblongata, which is all the basic functions, you know, heart rate, blood pressure, all that stuff. It's, an, it's already in there. So good question. It would not even have to be in their brain. It's like even if it doesn't penetrate the blood brain barrier, I mean, if it if this thing is grow, growing in your artery or in one of your one of your one of your arteries, like in your it did or your aorta or something like that, if all of a sudden it loses its signal and it just inflates out, that's the end. It's like you're not going to be a defibrillator will not save you. You see. It's yeah, like, that's absolutely true. It doesn't work in myocarditis either, because you know the, the that's inflammation and scarring on the heart. Indeed, yes. Wow. Um, yeah. No. This this is you know like just to get back to the uh, subject of of you know epigenetics, um, you know, and and in a previous uh, podcast we had talked about how they were systematically stripping copper out of, you know, the diet and everybody was depleted of copper. And then they appeared to be breathing in the the particulates from chemtrails like aluminum and barium and your myelin sheath around your your neurological system, uh, which requires copper to be on a certain frequency, is now, you know, searching for minerals to replace, you know, damaged cells. And since it doesn't have any copper, you know, because it's stripped out of your diet, it's using aluminum and barium. And what this does is it puts your neurological system into a different frequency, a different bandwidth. And so now you're part of this, you're not part of the Earth's Wi-Fi system, you're part of the 5G Wi-Fi system that, that, that they put up, which kind of would imply what Ryan was saying, that, that that eventually these people would be, you know, uh, hooked into that system and they would re- they would require that system. And epigenetically, they'd be passing on, you know, certain gene expressions that would, you know, perhaps in su- subsequent generations, their body, like young people's bodies would reject copper and would want aluminum and bear, you know, that that would be their natural state. Um, you know, but first it requires this this parental generation. And according to, to Darwin in The Origin of Species, he said for every 200 animals, you know, 198 die so the two survive. So they're, they're, they seem to be willing, the transhumanists, to have this attrition rate of doing this experiment. Many, many, many will die, but the few who survive will be the ones who pass on these epigenetically altered neurological systems, just like the rat. It was just a, a neurological system. They've been studying
seeing this, you know, and so they're they're willing to take that that high attrition rate if the the end goal is achieved of having a, a population that you could just turn off anytime that you wanted to, or manipulate neurologically and have them throw themselves in front of a train or have them assassinate someone that you want to assassinate, you know, or whatever, you know, it, it, it's it's mind boggling the, the the potentials for this, and it's it's it really gets down to what the, the transhumanists themselves call guided evolution. Right. They're trying to guide evolution. They're trying to step into the position of God and, and channeling us in a particular direction that's beneficial to them. I am convinced that people that have received the vaccines and not just the vaccines, but other 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 intravenous treatments are emitting a signal. I mean, I've proven it empirically for myself. It's important to note in saying this, that I have found two people that I, I reliably trust that say they've been vaccinated that do not throw these same signals they're not emitting them but at the same time that could be that they either receive saline or it could also be that they actually had a hardware failure in there and that's the reason why but and also i wanted to say that as far as the mineral replacement and metal replacement thing you were talking about the body is known to do that i think it's based on valence electrons because for example calcium can be replaced with strontium because of the valence electrons, I believe. And like, and this was proven in Project Tooth Fairy, like whenever they mapped nuclear fallout over the United States during like the height of the testing during the late 50s and early 60s, it's like strontium replaced calcium in people's teeth. And the government knew this. The government knew this because they asked people to send the milk teeth of their children in in order that they could do this. And it's also evident that you know, like radio iodide will replace regular iodide. That's the thyroid thing. Chapter three, conclusion. Okay, Ryan, what's your ending statement on the uh, subject of human beings being turned into routers? Again, I just like, I just can't get away from the fact that this, this has actually been proven to me. I mean, make up your own mind, go and experiment, but please, please go and experiment so that you can make up your own mind. Okay, excellent. So, Ginny, what's your uh, your your final concluding remarks? Well, you know, I think both Ryan and I have been looking into the electromagnetic and electronic aspect of this, and that's something that uh, I, I guess I would like to throw out a challenge to people. And and I've done several shows. I've been doing various shows for about a year and a half now. I guess about a year and a half, um, saying that it's time for us to look more critically at all the things that are supposedly convenient and fads, you know, like fad, a fad, like the, the getting the tattoos that has an electromagnetic component to it. A lot of those things are based on metals and they're conductive. And then the whole thing about the fear factor of getting the vaccine, but that's an emergency use authorization. They don't have to tell us what's in that because it's not FDA approved. And that means they don't have to tell us what's in there, which is why Mike Adams was doing the testing and finding a bunch of very suspicious ingredients. So I guess I'm begging people to be more cynical and more questioning before they just adopt something like a 5G smartphone that's going to be monitoring and possibly controlling their body. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, you know, you, you kind of reminded me, you said checking fads, being being suspicious about fads. And there was a, a book called How Change Happens by Cass Sunstein. 
and he kind of talks about the the mechanism of you know how to change public opinion, how to be what what he calls a norm entrepreneur. You know, and this like an example of that would be um, a celebrity. If you want to promote something, they like even monkeys and tests will actually pay you know peanuts. They'll pay food treats to look at a picture of an alpha monkey, and they'll a- they'll absolutely resist looking at a picture of a beta monkey. So they just love the alpha monkey, the alpha monkey. And human beings ape this, no pun intended. You know, they'll look at Brad Pitt carrying two you know Starbucks coffees, and oh, I need I want Starbucks coffee or they'll they'll show a celebrity getting a vaccine oh I, the vaccines are safe look celebrity x the alpha monkey said that it's safe so i've got to, you know, so this is how change happens uh cass sunstein in the book he talks about why trump had to be gotten rid of and he said because trump was a norm entrepreneur and he was making it acceptable to question globalization and so when they did social science science studies and started asking the general public before trump and after trump about globalization he had ticked it up like 60% that it was now acceptable for the working class to start questioning whether this was economically beneficial to them. And once they, they started seeing the, 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 the change, the shift in public opinion on it, they, they, they said he's got to go. You know, because he was he was he was doing change in you know in a, in a way direction that they didn't want it to go. The same thing. Uh, there's another book called uh, by called um, the Catalyst by Jonah Berger, and he was uh, at the uh, Wharton School of Business, Wharton School of Marketing, I believe, and. Um, he did a whole study on how to do social change, you know, and how you have to do it like a catalyst. And he says, like a catalyst, like change, normal change comes over slow glacial incremental periods. He said, but that's not how a catalyst does it. A catalyst basically can create a chemical reaction, not by using a lot of energy, but actually by having the, the substances trying to interact with use less energy. And so it removes the barriers to change. And once you remove the barriers to change, then change can happen naturally. So they've been social science have been studying this for quite a while, like how to deploy a fad, how to deploy a particular behavior that they want to encourage in the population. And we just have to remember to be skeptical when we see something on 4chan or we see something on the mainstream media, you know, or whatever, uh, that these these are deployment mechanisms, you know, memes are deployment mechanisms, you know, uh, celebrities, you know, and pictures, you know, uh, bringing up new questions and new ideas and, you know, uh, celebrities showing up, male celebrities showing up in a dress, you know, and being paid to do so, uh, or the, the Rockefellers, you know, paying, uh, you know, the, the young Native American woman, you know, to show up at the Oscars for Marlon Brando when he he rejects his Oscar in the 1970s and she makes a pitch for Native American rights and then come to find out that the Rockefellers had been funding Indian reservations, basically creating law-free zones where there were minerals and gold and uranium and, and petroleum and then getting the government to designate that Indian territory even when it hadn't been historically so that they could get a hold of those minerals. So they had to normalize the sympathy for Native Americans so that they could use that as a pretext to get a hold of this land. So you thought it was just, oh, it's just a fad. Native Americans and, and movies and this, that, and the crying Native American when he sees pollution. and you know. But this was paid for. This fad was paid for by very cynical interests. So you have to be very cynical. You're very, very skeptical. Um, and with that, I'm going to end the broadcast. Um, and I apologize for rambling there at the end. Uh, this is you know me, Daniel Natal, and I'm thanking Ryan Calevra and Ginny Silcox. And I will see you all next time on Under the Iceberg.